Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit our website, nbcmetairie.org. Now here's this week's message. One of the things that I want to draw your attention to is something as a person who passed, who fought for their country before Memorial Day was Memorial Day. Someone who fought in the Revolutionary War. Someone that you may not have even heard about. We're going to put his picture up here on the screen so you can see it. His name is Joseph Plum Martin. Joseph Plum Martin. And he served as a soldier, a private, um, in the American Revolution during the Rebellion. And he witnessed uh, George Washington. And so many times when we have essays and things like that, how George Washington was calm and collected and things like that. But he actually saw and he documents times of that George Washington got frustrated. For George Washington lost his temper. And so he's one of the guys that this little private that we actually get some of that information from. Martin fought. And uh, man, if, if you talk about how pain he had pain admit, amidst his purpose. He fought and almost froze to death, starved to death, and nearly lost his life in combat numerous times. He fell, all, he fell ill often. And uh, he joined the military, listen to this, at the age of 15. He enlisted at the age of 15. And later he was in action by the age of 16. Uh, one of the battles that he fought in was the Battle of Monmouth Courthouse. He was close to a woman whose name was Mary Macaulay. Mary Macaulay, man, this is a woman who manned a cannon. I love a woman that can man a cannon. That's to me, that's, that's true womanhood right there, okay? Fierce womanhood. And during this time that she was manning a cannon, one time she was being shot at by a cannon herself. Are you ready for this? She and during that day and age, I don't I don't know what was going on, but you know, women fought and wore the dresses. I mean, everything that went along with it had her legs, had her legs open, cannon went right through between her legs, tears her dress off from the bottom part of it, and as quoted as saying, a good thing it didn't pass a little higher, for in that case it might have carried away something else. No kidding. So not yet 18 years old, Martin lived through the miseries of Valley Forge during the winter of 1779. He recalled, we were literally starving, reduced to eating bark off the birch trees and roasting our shoes if we even had any. He survived Valley Forge only to come down with yellow fever afterwards and almost die. Man, this guy can't get a break. Again, he recovered rejoined his unit and fought on. After five years of war, Martin witnessed the British surrender at Yorktown. He lived out the rest of his life in relative poverty. He married, he had a special needs child, and at age 70, he published a memoir of his military service called A Narrative of Some of the Adventures, Danger, and Suffering of a Revolutionary Soldier. And later on, it didn't sell very well. So imagine putting all this effort, all this energy into it. And he died at the age, some, some scholars say different things. Some people say he died at 89. Some people said that he died at 90 years old, regardless, just one year apart. 
And he didn't have very much money even when he died. Can you imagine though? Being 15 or 16 years old and you are fighting in such significant battles that we look back on even in today and we go, wow, this young guy who got sick, who almost froze to death, who almost starved to death, and yet even through his pain had such amazing purpose. To the point that we might not be sitting here today because of this young private. And certainly his memoir that did not sell well has become what scholars have said is one of the most significant memoirs in history. Didn't sell well. Can you imagine the, the amount of defeat that he might have felt when he was thinking, man, I'm going to go into my retirement years, is going to pay for my retirement years, and it doesn't. And nevertheless, he put that out there, and it is one of the best books that we have. In fact, um, he, he has been uh, portrayed as a, by famous actors, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Rick Schroeder, and so uh, by different documentaries that have taken place. And so he wasn't a general, wasn't a politician. He was a young private who had an impact had a purpose that he probably couldn't even see amidst his pain. Let me tell you, folks, living a life of purpose will inevitably involve pain. It's just the way it is. C.S. Lewis, I put a quote in your notes and I'm going to put it up here on the screen, said, to try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free wills involve, and you will find that you have excluded life itself. What does he mean by that? He means if you take out the suffering, you take out life itself. Before we get into our passage of Acts chapter 21, I, I think, I think it'd be good for us to just briefly take a, a look at someone in the Old Testament who lived a life of purpose. We'll put this up on the screen, Jeremiah 1 verse 5. And before I read this, I want us to understand every single person in here today has a God-given purpose. You have a God-given purpose. You might feel like I'm the low man on the totem pole. I might feel like a private in my life. But God has a huge purpose for you. Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God is calling Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He tells him here, I've got a job for you to do. I've got a purpose for you and a purpose for your life. Later on in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20, we'll put this up here, we see the pain that was involved. In fact, he actually tells God, God, you lied to me. You told me I had a purpose for my life and nevertheless, you lied to me. He said, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. Now look at this. I am ridiculed all day long and everybody mocks me. God, you told me I had a purpose. God, you told me you had a plan for my life. God, you told me. And everybody mocks me. There's so much pain involved. Verse 8 goes on to say, Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. That was, he was a prophet. 
And he was telling them the truth, and sometimes the truth hurts. And so he was talking about violence that was going to take place. He was going to talk about destruction, talk about other armies that were going to come in because of their sin had gotten to a point that God wasn't going to put up with it anymore. And he says this, look at this. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. An incredible purpose for his life. An incredible book that we have in the Bible. And it involved pain. In fact, I was thinking about Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is sending out his disciples. You know the story. He's getting ready to send out his disciples. And he says, all right, guys, you ready? Now, this is the Dan Pritchett version of the Bible. He says, all right, guys, you ready? You're going to go out and you are going to heal people. Wow. Can you imagine being one of the 12 disciples and saying, man, I get to touch people and heal them? Said, you're going to drive out demons. Wow. Man, spiritual forces are going to listen to little old me and I'm, I'm going to get to drive out demons. And Jesus says, you're even going to have the opportunity to raise people from the dead. Amazing. Man, I would be feeling pretty good about myself. Yes, send me out. This sounds exciting. And then Jesus caps it off if you look at it. And he says, now just remember, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Wait, wait, what? You have, man, this incredible purpose, these incredible adventures, uh, sheep among wolves. That, that doesn't sound very good, Jesus. See, having a purpose also involves pain. God will give you your purpose and it will involve some pain. It happened in the Apostle Paul's life. And I want us to see in verse, in chapter 21 of the book of Acts, we're just going to walk through this together. And I want us to see, we're going to sum it up in verse 14 here in just a second. But I want you to see how he understands his purpose coming up for his life is going to involve some pain. So look with me in verse 1. It says, after we tore ourselves away from them, he's talking about the elders in Miletus. He's moving towards Jerusalem. It says, we set sail straight for Kos. The next day to Rhodes and from there, Patera. Finding a ship, crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. So it's unloading its cargo, and then in verse 4, so they make use of that time that they're unloading the cargo. It says, we sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Though the Spirit, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, we're going to put up here on the screen. Now, of course, I like for you to have maps. So you got maps on the back of your notes here today, so you can kind of see what's going on. So here you can see this is the last. We're getting ready to look at the last leg of his journey. He's going into Jerusalem. Talks about them sailing south of Cyprus. It's not listed on here, but Cyprus is the island over here to the right. So they're going down there. Tyre is where they're going to be right here. And so you can see where he started this journey in verse 1. We'll put that little yellow arrow up there so that you can kind of see where verse 1 is in the midst of the whole journey. So he's starting at Miletus. He's coming down here. He gets to Syria. He gets into the area of Palestine. And when he gets off the ship, people are telling me, telling him through the, through the spirit, God is telling him, listen, when you go into Jerusalem, it's going to involve some pain. It's going to involve some serious pain when you get there. Then in verse five, follow along with me. It says, when our time had come to an end, we left 
to continue our journey while all of them with their wives and children accompany us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and aborted the ship and returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemaeus where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed there for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea where we entered the house of Philip. It says, Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Now, this is the Philip that we found earlier in the, in the book of Acts. This is not Philip the uh, disciple of Jesus or the apostle. This is Philip the evangelist. Remember, it says right here, it says one of the seven. That was one of the, the original seven deacons. Do you remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian where he runs up and he says, hey man, what you reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I, he's reading Isaiah, but he says, I can't understand it. And so Philip explains it to him. He says, here's some water. Let me get baptized. This is the same Philip, okay? So they go to his house and he's got these seven daughters. Man, that's a lot of estrogen. And so he's got these seven daughters and they prophesy. And then after, in verse 10, it says, after we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus, who we saw earlier in the book of Acts, she prophesied about a famine about 15 years prior to this, told about a famine that would take place in Jerusalem. Here she shows up again. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Oh, he came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In the same way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Talking about Paul, you're going to be bound. You're going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. You're going to be in jail. Verse 12, when we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him, don't go to Jerusalem. Can you imagine? God's purpose for your life says, go to Jerusalem. God's purpose for your life says, you do this. And everyone is saying, don't do it. Sometimes that's what happens in our life. Good Christian people, because they don't want to see you go through pain in your life. They have a good heart, but nevertheless, they don't understand that it's his purpose to live for. Verse 13, then Paul replied, what are you weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not ready to not only be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded Said no, he said, they said no more except the Lord's will be done. Here's what I want us to see very briefly today. If you got your notes, we're going to put this up on the screen. Pain enters the picture. Pain enters the picture. Sometimes when pain enters the picture, and it's going to enter the picture, we can feel so lost. We can feel so lost. But when pain enters the picture, you have to be persuaded. You see, here he was. He is not going to be persuaded not to go. He's going to be persuaded to go. Verse 14 says he's not going to be persuaded. So what is he persuaded by? So when pain enters the picture and God has a purpose and a plan for your life, what are you persuaded by? Because so many times when those bad things happen, when, when, when pain enters God's purpose, you can feel so lost. You can feel like you are in a fall. God, did I hear you right? Have you ever been there? I know I have. God, I thought this was the direction that you wanted me to go. I must not have heard it. You can feel like you are in 
the fog. So the first thing that I want you to see is when pain enters the picture, we must be persuaded by, number one, God's plan. God's plan. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And sometimes it will take you through the hardest valleys you've ever been through. But you trust His plan. Be reminded of your Savior. When Jesus came to earth, He knew the whole time that He was going to die on the cross. And nevertheless, He kept going with the plan because it led to our salvation. His purpose involved pain. When I was uh, getting everything ready today, I was thinking about taking a road trip. I was thinking about a plan. You know, it, we're, so, we're so spoiled these days. I don't know about you, but when you go on a road trip, I don't even look up things anymore. I just get in the driveway. I pull out my phone like many of you. You know, some of y'all, you may be taking a vacation this summer. You pull out the phone, you type in the address, and you just go. Do you remember the old days? Some of the kids in here, teenagers, maybe you don't remember the old days. I want to say, you know, can we put this up? Yeah, the Rand McNally Atlas. Okay, you remember this thing? You know, you're smiling because you remember this thing. You kept it between your seat and the console. That's where, that's where it stayed. The Rand McNally Atlas. Now, it's funny about that. They're still making this thing. I don't know why. Maybe they haven't. I don't know why, but this is the 2023. They, they come out with the 2023 Ram McNally Atlas because, as you know, roads change and things like that, so you have to update them every year. And so uh, this year is actually, just in case, a little side note, 99th edition of the Ram McNally uh, Atlas that many of you had growing up. And so what you would do was, before your vacation or before your road trip, you would sit down and you would make a plan. You would sit down, and uh, let's put this picture up here. Yeah, this, uh, this is uh, Indiana right here, and so you can see um, sometimes, in some cases, you know, it would have each page was a different state, and if a state had a big old city on it, then sometimes the, the, it would zoom in on the city so that you could see uh, things, but you would look at something like this, and you would, you would set the plan. You would see, but here's what the plan can't tell you. The plan, the map, cannot tell you if there's going to be any flat tires along the way. The plan can't tell you if there's going to be any detours along the way. The plan can't tell you necessarily what the weather's going to be. You can kind of plan around the different seasons of what the weather's going to be like, but it can't tell you if the rain's going to rain so hard that you can't see and you might have to pull over on the side of the road. See, the plan can't, can't tell you that. And so what you have here is God gives us a plan. He gives us his plan through the word. We have a roadmap, and it is amazing. And don't get me wrong, it is full of wisdom. And it will tell you how to deal with things. It will tell you how to deal with the flat tires of life. It will tell you how to deal with um, the, the detours of life, but it can't predict. Those are the things that only happen by going according to the plan. I want you to turn with me. I don't do this often, but I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Turn with me, flip over. We'll put those Bible drill uh, skills to work. Flip over to the first book of the New Testament. First book of the New Testament. I'm gonna put my tassel here so I don't lose my spot. Matthew chapter 11, there was someone, John the Baptist, who knew the plan. 
He knew what the map was supposed to say. He had already baptized Jesus. And he was the one that when Jesus came to be baptized in the Jordan River, he said, man, I'm not even worthy enough to, you know, to, have the, to tie this man's sandals. And so here he is in Matthew chapter 11. He's been arrested. He's sitting in jail. He's not a part of the ministry anymore. And can you believe it? Of all people, John the Baptist begins to have doubts. Look at what it says in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples. He moved on from there to teach and preach. Now look in verse 2. Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? John the Baptist, I mean, are, are you the Messiah? Or uh, is, is, is there somebody else on the way? Because this wasn't in my expectations. This wasn't in the plan. I knew the map. I'm the prophet. I'm the prophet. I know what's supposed to happen. And uh, this is not according to the plan. And this is what Jesus says. In verse 4, it says, He replied to them, Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. And he gives them evidence. He gives them evidence. And so here's what I want you to see. Trust that God has a plan. There's going to be times where it feels foggy. You can't see the road of life. And what might happen is there might be a death in your family or friend. You might get laid off or even fired. You might have people that will slander you. You might even have people hate you. There might be a divorce take place. There might be a medical procedure take place. There might be a hurricane. Hope not. Or it might just be practical things that just happen. Something happens, the, the roof starts leaking, the refrigerator goes out. And this was not a part of the plan. And nevertheless, this is what Jesus tells us, and well, and what God tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know it, you can probably even quote it. But it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Let me, let me repeat that part one more time because that's the hardest part of this whole verse. Do not lean on your own understanding. You're trying to understand it. That's what John the Baptist was trying to do. You're trying to put it all together. It says acknowledge him and he'll make your what path straight. Follow God's plan. Know that he's got a plan. Know that he's got a path in mind. Second thing that I want you to write down this morning, just thinking about Paul and what had happened, he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. It's going to be painful. It's coming up. We'll talk more about it in the weeks to come. But the second thing, when pain enters the picture, you have to be persuaded by God's power. you got to be persuaded by God's power. We've talked about this over the past couple of weeks. But I think that it's important to look at it through fresh eyes, especially in the midst of pain. Can God's power, can it be there in the midst of pain? Absolutely. Let me give you a Bible verse. Maybe you write down this reference on your notes just off to the side. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. The Apostle Paul's talking about all the pain that he's gone through. He says, I'll post more, all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God has a purpose for your life. He's going to you give you the power. Doesn't mean that it's not going to be painful. Look at this. That is why 
For Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what the world says? When you're strong, you're strong. You know what the Bible says? When you're weak, that's when you are the most strong. I was reading uh, this week of uh, illustration that, that was done by D.L. Moody. And so I want to draw it to your attention this morning. I got a little thing for us to see, uh, a little glass. D.L. Moody put out a, a glass himself with a, a group that he was teaching. And he, said, and he looked at it and he said, guys, if I wanted to take all the air out of this glass, how could I do it? How would I take all the air? And so there were some folks, and they, they mentioned different things. You know, they were talking about the physics of it and yada, yada, yada. They said, well, you know what? You could put a pump on there, and you could, you could suck all the air out. He said, man, if you sucked all the air out, what's going to happen? It's going to break, right? It's going to break. And so they began to kind of go around and, and talk about some, some different things of how you would accomplish that. And, and, and this is how we live our life. When we talk about God's purpose for our life, we're thinking, okay, I, I, I know that I've got a sin nature. How do I suck all the sin out of my life? How do I get all the sin out of my life? You know what? I've got a past. Everybody in here has a past. And some of them are more colorful than others. So, Lord, how, how do I, you know, I can't really change it. So, I mean, that would break me trying to suck my past or even my weaknesses, how do I, how do I suck, man, I, how do I get the, my, my weakness? How do I get all of those things? And of course, you know, you probably figured it out by now. The easiest way to get those things out and to get the air out of this glass is by simply, watch me, is by pouring something into it. I want you to see this is how God's power works in our life you've been thinking i've got to get this out of my life i got to get that out of my life you think that the christian life is all about taking things out what if i told you that when you put christ and his power and the power of the holy spirit into your life those things naturally solve themselves do you see it and so for us, when pain enters the picture, a lot of times we're thinking, how do I get the pain out? I just want to be free from the pain. And let me tell you, as I was praying through this and talking through this, so many times, my wife and I were talking about uh, even the, this past week, so many times people try to get the pain out by developing a new reality. A new reality. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that you can't enjoy certain things. And, you know, I, let me give you a great example, like a movie, a good movie. Man, good movie just helps you kind of escape reality for two hours and just enjoy the, you know, enjoy the picture, enjoy what you're, you know, a good book. But sometimes when people try to escape their reality, they begin to develop things that are not of God. Let me give you some great examples. So beyond a movie, but sometimes they begin to develop a relationship apart from their wife or apart from their husband, because they're trying to feel and they're trying to get rid of the pain. And so they commit adultery, trying to do this new reality when the, when the whole time God says, if you would just fill yourself with me, not this relationship. Happens with pornography. 
Happens when things are trying to, you know, fantasy, feeling their, their mind. It happens with greed. They're trying, they have this fantasy, they have this reality. So I have to take the money in order to fulfill this reality. Maybe that they're, they've been hurt and so they envision hurting others. This is what happens. I've, I've been a, a victim of, of panic attacks for years. God has worked in the midst, in my midst. But even having panic attacks, one of the things that I have to remember is that you, you know, you're slipping off into some reality that isn't there. God, I need your power in my life. That doesn't mean that you can't use things like counseling or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not harping on that at all. I think that you should go to counseling. You should be a part of those things. But let me tell you, you need to be filled with God. He will fill that emptiness. So when pain enters the picture, sometimes, the, well, all the time, the best course of action isn't to figure it out. It's simply to be filled. And when you are filled, that is when you most accomplish your purpose in life. So we've got God's plan. We're persuaded by God's plan. We're persuaded by God's power. The third thing that I want us to write down today is that when pain enters the picture, you've got to be persuaded by God's pleasure. Now, this is cool. This is good. You probably didn't even think that I was going there. I, I mean this in two ways. Yes, that we live for God's pleasure. That we live for God's delight. That we say, I want my life, no matter if I go through pain, I want to live to put a smile on Jesus' face. Now, that's a weighty thing to do if you don't have the first things. If, you don't, if, if, you don't, if you're not persuaded by his plan and his power, it is hard to live for his pleasure. It's actually a drudge to do that kind of thing. But if you've got his plan and his power in mind, then you can live for his pleasure. But don't miss it, there's a second thing. And that's when we, when, that when we live our lives, that God is our delight. That God's pleasure, that we receive pleasure when He is our everything. God is the apple of our eye and the reason we live and we move. John Piper said it this way. He said, God is delighted with our obedience, when it is the fruit of our delight in Him. Our obedience is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. Is God the apple of your eye? Is God the delight of your heart? And when I read this, I thought about what, what the Apostle Paul, who were, we've been tracking his movements, we've been tracking all of his different missionary uh, journeys and all of those things. I think about when the Apostle Paul was in a jail cell, when his purpose of being that, having that mission-mindedness ended him up in jail, ended him up in chains. And what did the Apostle Paul, the pain amidst purpose, what did he say? Philippians 4, 7, 4, 4 through 7. What did he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Do you see it? I'm in pain. I'm in jail. I've got nothing. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it one more time. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, through prayer, petition, thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This isn't a guy who's writing this in a palace. This is a guy who, in the midst of the pain, says, let God be your delight. I don't know what that's going to take. For you, it might be, you say, man, every day my job is like a jail cell. Turn on the radio, listen to some music, get you something, fill your heart with all of Him. Pray, get on your knees, not because you're supposed to, but because you want to. Because you say, you are the best relationship I could ever have, even though all these other relationships have fallen apart. Oh God, you're always there for me. You are my delight. You are my pleasure. I think a lot of times we live under the weight of guilt. And when we go through painful times, we're just trying to hang on. We're just trying to survive. Maybe the devil has even whispered in our ears and said, you know what, you probably deserved it. I think we hear that God loves us so much. We hear that. We hear that in church. We hear that on, I mean, we see it on bumper stickers. God loves you. That maybe we've even become numb to it. Maybe you've even felt, okay, God, I hear that you love me, but do you like me? He does. He loves you. He even likes you. He wants to be your delight. And we have taught, we've been taught that you're supposed to binge on things in this life that aren't, that aren't good for you. You're really not supposed to binge on these things. Think of the things that you're not supposed to binge on. TV, video games. We do it, but we feel guilty about it. TV, video games, food, sweets. Social media, we just binge on it. Drinking, partying, all of those things. We binge on those things. What if I told you here today, you can binge on Jesus and not feel guilty about it. You can binge on your Savior. In fact, He wants you to. And when pain enters the picture of your life, binge on Jesus. When pain comes in, sing His praises. Delight in Him. Rejoice in Him. Because as we look back 2,000 years ago, think about it this way. Jesus, He's the ultimate veteran. He sacrificed for our freedom. He died because He loves you. For God so loved the world. He loves you. He cares about you. He cherishes you. He died to set you free from your sin and your past so that you could live for Him. He died and rose so that we could live. But not just so that we could be saved and then try to drudge through this life. He died so that we could be saved and live for Him as our pleasure. So when pain enters the picture, be persuaded by God's plan. He's got a plan. 
Be persuaded by God's power. And then finally, be persuaded by God's pleasure. Let's have a word of prayer.